This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Another episode of Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 329. Well, hello, everybody. Very happy to be here. Once again, it is an odd-numbered episode, which means we have a guest on the show. Very excited to welcome Mr. Chad Elkins from 20th Century Games. Hello, sir. Hello, How Chad. are you? Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty going good. good. It's going pretty good. How are you doing over there, Anitra? It's going pretty well over there? <laughs> yes, it's fine over here. <laughs> All the way over there. I should figure I'd ask, you know, I'm trying to be all nice. the way over arms reach across the room. <laughs> I know. I know. Usually uh, you're closer when we podcast, when we have a guest on the show. And this is kind of weird, but we're trying some new stuff. Hopefully it doesn't sound bad. That's the goal. That's anyway, the goal. episode 329 of the Family Gamers podcast, which means I have a fact. I mean, <clears throat> you know how I've said sometimes that it's really hard to get something good when I'm desperate. I go to the Guinness Book of World Records. Usually I can find a fact related to our episode number. This week it was so bad I spent like 15 minutes on the Guinness Book of World Records trying to find a fact related to our episode number that wasn't terrible. Now I ended up with two facts. One of them has to do with naked heads and one of them has to do with naked feet. Okay. I was try- like I figured they were so lame that I needed some kind of theme to tie them together. So that's what I went with. All right. How does that sound? Sure. Does that sound okay? Is that is that acceptable? I promise these are all family appropriate. Anyway, the Naked Heads one, 329 in March of 2016, 329 people got their heads shaved simultaneously. <laughs> okay. Yep. Guinness Book of World Records. You can look it up yourself. Most people ever to get their heads shaved simultaneously. Yeah. It was achieved by the Canadian Cancer Society and the Calgary Fire Department in Canada at the Fire Training Academy in Calgary, Alberta on March 12th, 2016. All right. The attempt took place at an event to raise money to fight cancer and raise awareness about workplace carcinogens. Over $140,000 was raised. Hooray. Hooray. Whoa. Yep. I know. That's it. I mean, that's Canadian money, so it's like eight bucks. But... So, yeah. <laughs> Three penny. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the Naked Feet one. This one was in India in 2019. Also in March, though, 329 people were the most people simultaneously contributing to the same foot painting. Okay. I, I don't know. It, this was an initiative for International Women's Day using the UN theme of think equal, build smart, innovate for change, apparently with your feet, and as inspiration for this creative record attempt. So there you go. Naked heads and naked feet. That's how I desperately worked to tie together my 329 facts for the episode. All right. All right. We'll take it. I mean, that's the best I can yeah, I'd say. I'd say you're reaching, but the fact that you can find not one, but two <laughs> things related to 329, I still got to give you some props for that. Naked or not. I appreciate that very much. And I very much was reaching. I'm not denying that at all. <laughs> all right, Anitra, over to you. Well, I have a message from our sponsor, First Move Financial. Did you know that one of the biggest risks to retirement is called the sequence of return risk? If you aren't depositing or withdrawing from an account, the sequence of returns, when the market is positive, when it's negative, they don't matter. What matters is the average return. But when you are making withdrawals, it significantly hurts how long your money will last if just before those withdrawals, you start seeing major down markets. That's because when you withdraw money, then there's less money in the account to experience the eventual upswing and help the account recover from those losses. 
Conversely, if you're making deposits, it's better for you if the sequence starts with some losses so that your early deposits have a lower starting price and can experience the recovery fully. Regardless of whether you're trying to figure out how to start saving for your future or trying to decide if you can still afford to retire, First Move can help you. To set up either a 15-minute phone call or a 90-minute meeting, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today. All right. Thanks so much to the team over at First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the Family Gamers podcast. Chad, at this point in the show, we're going to talk about some games, some games that we've been playing. You want to go first? You're the guest. Do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. So stuff that is not internal, right? So which obviously takes up, unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, most of my game playing time these days is usually uh, stuff like projects that are in development and testing out prototypes. So we're looking at sign and all that kind of stuff. Like everything we play is stuff that we've got for review. Not yeah. So yeah, work related game stuff, which is still games and it's still fun. Don't get me wrong, but not my stuff external. I'll start with one, probably because we've been playing it the most. My wife and I recently got a Crokinole set, and I don't know why I went nice. this long without getting a Crokinole set, because I love it. I hear you. It's amazing. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's just like tabletop shuffleboard. Like, I don't need that. But then you play it, and you're like, holy cow. And we've been playing that all the time since Christmas holidays. Crokinole. Nice. I mean, it's right up there with something like Strike, where it's crazy simple, but for some reason, it's just like, you got to get back to the table, bring it back to the table, bring it back to the table. I have a friend who has uh, a, like a clock face that she can put on the front of her Crokinole board, so it just hangs oh. above their couch, like on the, oh, on that's the wall, cool. but it has a clock face over the middle of it, so it looks like kind of like a wall ornament kind of thing, and then she can just pull huh. it right off the wall. Pulls the whole thing and, down, like, let's play! Yeah, instead of like trying to shove it behind a bookcase or something like that. So Yeah, we, we just shove ours nice in a closet, and, uh, but yeah. That's pretty cool. The clock is interesting. Right, exactly. I guess they take the pegs out and then like put the insert in the pegs, maybe? No, who knows? The, the face goes right over. I, I don't know how it works. I don't know. So if, anyone who hasn't seen Crokinole, it, mostly it's a two-player game. Uh, you, you can play at teams. We, we have played teams with some friends. Which is very different because, like, you get a little bit of downtime because, like, you're reacting to like three shots, you know, kind of uh, after yours. But yeah, the, it's like Strike is awesome. Like, we also lost been playing a lot of Strike. So, fortunately, that wasn't a choice. Otherwise, you would have ruined it for me. But <laughs> it has some dexterity to it, right? Like, so there's like some, I feel like there's some skill, like some learnings yep. you, you yep. kind of get as you play. It's Absolutely. not just tossing dice oh, yeah. and a thing. But I really want, so I saw a picture of someone had one and I've been trying to find it someone that could make it or something. So I saw a picture of somebody that had one. It's been years now, but it was a captain America shield and it looked amazing. So if you're listening out here and you know, someone who can make a captain America shield crokinole board, hit me up. Cause I want one. <laughs> well, I know Jen Bartlett, the board game librarian has a wonder woman board. Oh, she does. That's right. Old, like the, the big wonder woman, like logo, like painted across her crokinole board. So that's cool too. Maybe I should ask her who made that for her. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know if like they paint some kind of substrate and then like put plexi over it. I'd be worried that the like texture of the paint would kind of affect the sliding of the, of the caroms and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I was no going to say uh, most of the crokinole boards I've seen seem pretty heavily varnished. So I would say you paint it first and then you do some kind then of then you probably put the varnish layer over it, it. Yeah. flood it if, or something yeah. yeah and then that should make it smooth enough yeah i don't know maybe uh experimentation and shea family gamers to see if we can make right. a coconut board hey man because <laughs> you don't have enough woodworking projects already yeah that's true all right Andrew, you want to go next sure i can go next all right we have been playing a whole lot of star trek super skill pinball we have Ooh, yeah 
been playing a lot of that. That's going to be the snap review for next week. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. I really enjoy it. It's real good. If you are a Trekkie or at least enjoy Star Trek, there is a pinball table in here for you. There are four different ones and they cover all different eras of Star Trek, which is pretty great. Mm-hmm. So do you like it better than Holiday and the Carnival one? Like, Is it unique enough to where you can really rank them? So I've, I've only played the Holiday and the other one. I haven't tried the Holiday one because honestly, I'm just not a big fan of the movies portrayed there. So it's not a big draw for me. I did play the original Super Skill Pinball a fair bit, but I got bored of it after a few plays because it felt kind of samey and the stuff that was challenging didn't really feel like there was a reason for it to be challenging. And so I really like the Star Trek theme because I'm kind of a Trekkie less than I used to be, but I still, you know, I still know everything. I still watched everything. So it really feels like there's a reason for what you're doing. And I think that's kind of the big thing is, is just having that investment. Like what's the point? That was really a struggle with the first one it's just like i mean i get it like it's cool but i'm not in it you know i'm not really feeling it the progression i mean you could see your points going up you don't really feel progression on the boards yeah Uh, well the harder ones you do but it's still not super compelling yeah Um, i will also say three out of the four boards in the star trek super skill pinball do at least one thing that you could not do on a real pinball table. So that brings a little kind of fantasy kind of stuff into it, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because what's the is, what's the four that are in there? I've actually got it. I, I picked it up recently, but I haven't had a chance to play it. Because it always has TOS, right? And then like next gen. And then what's the other two? Is it? The original series one is Trouble with Tribbles. It's all Tribble themed. There's one that's themed as Starfleet Academy. So there's no specific show series there. Oh, so it's like a theme-ish from from a show, I guess? Yeah, well, so it's pulling together a bunch of Star Trek lore, I would say, with that one. And then there is a Borg Attack board, Mm. which is definitely themed on when Picard becomes Locutus. I mean, it's got a picture of Locutus on the thing. Like, it's very clearly themed for that. But really, every series after Next Generation has some kind of interaction with the Borg at some point. What is it? Species 5472 in Voyager that's able to just destroy the Borg? Something like that, yeah. yeah. It's pretty impressive that you nailed it and the number, right? (laughs) I don't... I might have been wrong with one digit, but like... There was a lot of shade for you when I was watching that as a kid. And I was like, suck it, Borg! Ah!" Font of useless knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the last one is Lower Decks themed. Lower Decks is a very recent animated series. I don't know if you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, highly recommended, although not exactly a family show. <laughs> is that is that still Paramount exclusive or did they move that over to something else? No, it is, but you can get you can pick up the DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever. So it's it's out there if you don't want to pay for Paramount Plus. But like Paramount Plus is one of those things that you can get a month for a dollar. Like and just um, and just know, binge and then it just, and then cancel it. Like, right. That's like I'm not a big binge guy, but like that's the kind of show that I would binge big time. Well, I mean, it is a half hour sitcom based in the world of Star Trek. And because it's animated, they can do a bunch of stuff that, you know, you can't do when it's all real actors. Oh, it's spectacular. It's so good. It's so well written. And it's following four little ensigns and like all of the crazy stuff that's happening around them. And they're like, is this normal? Like, should should we be concerned? (laughs) 
It's so good. Um, the lower decks pinball board. The conceit there is that the gravity generator is broken, and so you literally keep flipping the orientation of the board. Um, you don't oh, get to have multiple balls in that one, so you're just trying really hard to flip the ball at the appropriate time so that you can keep your ball. Uh, uh, it's pretty really cool. fun. Did y'all get into the what was the Seth uh, McFarlane show that was kind of Star Trekky spoof? The Orville. The Orville. There you go. Did y'all get into that one? No, but we literally had a conversation yesterday that we need that, to watch that, that we show. Should try watching. So. It. Yeah, I haven't watched it either. I heard <laughs> so it gets really will. good. Yeah, I've I've heard it's excellent. I also my boss today was trying extremely hard to convince me to start watching BoJack Horseman. So that's another show that's on the pile. So um, I don't know. I think when the Orville first came out, I just was turned off by it because it was Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> Who I have slowly become a huge fan of over the years. So. Yeah, but at the time, I did not have respect for him then. I do now. <laughs> I'll put it that way. All right, that's fine. So yeah, so a lot of Star Trek Super Skill Pinball, highly recommended if you like either pinball or Star Trek, definitely recommended if you like both. All right, so the next game is a game that I've been playing. I played. I actually did a TikTok video of this game because I thought it was so lovely. And this is the first game that we are going to review from Joey Games, which is Phil Walker Harding's company that is making family way board games that have something to do with Australia. Hence the name Joey Games, Phil Walker Harding from Australia. Uh, and this game is called Scribbly Gum. It, the game's not super complicated. This is one of those um, flip and write games where you flip something over and everybody writes something on their board. But the premise of this game is that you are some kind of caterpillar slug thing and you're living in a scribbly gum tree and the card token things that you flip over are move up, move down, move left, move right, move along a dotted line or whatever. And you're trying to gather food and there's like blooms or nuts or I don't know, leaves, leaves. or something. I, I don't remember. And a set of each of those represents a meal, air quote. And that's what's going to give you points. And so as you travel around the scribbly gum tree, you go over these icons and you cross those things out. It's a really, I mean, it's a straightforward flip and write game mechanically, but it's really cute. And it's, I mean, this is for kids, right? So this, I played this with our 12 year old. Obviously, he had no problem understanding this. He's our gamer anyway, but it's really nice. And then we played kind of the advanced mode, which has these basically like achievements. Unsurprisingly, you can think of something like Baron Park, another Phil Walker Harding game. What? <laughs> Where you can either just play the game or you can play the game like with these kind of extra additional achievements. And just like in a game like Baron Park, if you do it first, you get more points, but everybody else can still do it and for still lower get some point points. Value. Yeah. So. It definitely is a step down from some of his more complicated designs, but that's on purpose. I played it too, and it was fun, and I can definitely see playing it with like a six-year-old. Yeah, so there's there's like a couple things I, I really, really like about it, which, I mean, I, everything I said is like, it's a straightforward kind of basic game in this genre, and it works and whatever, but the things that I really, really like about it are, number one, there's actual like information in the booklet where you can learn about what's going on, but you don't need to know those things to play the game. Right. So there's that. But the other thing, and I think this is brilliant, is that there is a mode in the game that is classroom mode. So if you are a teacher and you're doing like a unit on Australia, you could actually play this game with your class where everybody oh, cool. in the class is playing all at the same time. And I mean, a lot of roll and write, flip and write games, you can kind of do that. And we've talked about that before, 
where, you know, okay, well, if it's all simultaneous decision making based on a single, you know, thing like like we did, we stream tiny towns with people. It's all the same general concept. But it's specifically like laid out in the book. Like this is a classroom mode. This is how you would play this with your classroom. And I just think that's really cool because that's totally in the spirit of what Joey Games is going for. And I really, really like that. I thought that was a really clever addition to the game. So that is Scribbly Gum from uh, Joey Games and Phil Walker Harding. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Phil Walker Harding fan. I think he's a very, very clever and very, very smart designer. And all the games are just very. The decision space and as far as like getting the rule set to the table are all very straightforward and very just intuitive and easy, but mm-hmm. they're fun. And then the decision space you have within the games are interesting. And, and it's just, I've, I've never played a bad one. So, but uh, yeah, I, I remember when the triple pack of that was on, was on Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, uh, we have Scribbly Gum and we have Busy Beaks and Busy Beaks has a bit of setup in the box which I suppose, since I haven't played it yet, is a warning to anybody who is you know, of the opinion that they can just rip it out and start playing it. No, you can do that with Scribbly Gum, but... Oh, absolutely. I mean, I guess you could probably do it with Busy Beaks too, but like, if you're going to put it away according to the way you're supposed to put it away, it's just going to take you time because there's like 16 of these little mini boxes inside the box. You got to fold them up and it's a whole thing. But Keep all the bird decks separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm excited to get that one to the table as well. Definitely talk about those. Those will be coming probably in the next month or two. We'll have the snaps out for those. All right, Chad, back to you. What else you've been playing? So keeping... With the lighter stuff, I feel like I've all been playing lately. It's been very light, kind of just relaxing and goofing around type stuff. I recently was able to get a copy of it. It's really hard to find in North America because it's just not sold here. So you have to generally try to find it overseas. But uh, it's a game called Hamster Roll. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yep, yeah. Yep. This is a game I got introduced to for the past like two, three years at board game conventions because Isaac Villa from Gaming with Sidekicks would just always bring it, you know, and so he'd bring it, and we'd always break it out <laughs> and play it does. at night. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, like I, I just gotta break down and buy this game because, and I gotta show it to friends here that don't go to cons with me, you know, that I, I game with locally. Since so I finally got a copy of it, and it's amazing, and it's so much fun. If you've never seen it or played it, it is basic. It's super simple. You get this wheel, like a hamster wheel. It's this big wooden ring. And there's little ledges that are kind of varying widths around the whole ring. You yourself, every, every player has a little specific set of like 10 different little blocks. And like they're all different little shapes and sizes. And your goal is to just run out of blocks and be the first person out of any blocks. So you're placing these blocks on this little wheel. And your, the block you place has to be higher than the previous block. Which means if you get a taller block, you could put on the same ledge as the most recent block. Or you have to go to the next ledge. It has to kind of be just further along up the wheel than the previous block is the only rule. You can't go backwards. But of course, this wheel will just turn. So it's just sitting on a table. So like, the wheel keeps rotating and then all the pieces that are on the backside start getting high and then they eventually fall off. Whatever falls off, you collect. So now you've got more stuff you got to try to get rid of. But that's literally the game. Super simple, but it's just silly dexterity fun. I mean, those things are so good, like those really clever, simple things. I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about before with Crokinole. It's the same kind of thing where it's just like, oh, how did this really simple thing not exist before now kind of thing? You know what I mean? So that stuff's great. We have a friend who has this or something extremely similar to it, and they are board gamers, but I don't I wouldn't expect them to go get something outside the United States. So I wonder what they have. I have no idea. But um, yeah, so that's good stuff. Well, I'm actually going to go a slightly different direction now and i'm going to talk about 
a game that I have been playing solo, which is Wild Tales, a pirate legacy. So this was the button shy legacy game that came out just before Christmas. Very strange playing an 18 card game that is a legacy game. So it's 18 cards plus some stickers. And it's basically a boss beat em up battle kind of game. And it's just that every time you play as you go along in the campaign, you have slightly different settings, a different boss or different equipment you need to get in order to then fight the boss. So far, I'm finding it fairly interesting once I've figured out how to play. The shortcoming that I've seen is like a lot of the other button shy games that are really trying to do something unique and complicated. The rules are complicated and they put them on these tiny little pamphlets to fit in with the cards and I end up reading through it like five or six times before it really clicks. Like, this is what you need to do, and this is the terminology we use, and this is how the whole game works together. That part annoys me. It's not the first button shy game like that that I've played, and most of them I don't end up liking in the end because they feel too complex. But once I got my head wrapped around this one, I'm enjoying it more. When I first heard this, this was coming out, like I got like a sneak peek of it from Dustin and Milan. The fact that they, I was like, what did you just say? Like, did you literally just say an 18 card legacy game? Because I don't think I heard you right, you know? And yeah, it, 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 like I haven't played it. a campaign game, no less. In a campaign game. And I'm like, how the whole concept that you could even create it, right? Like just the, the challenge of making it and have it be functional and apparently fun. Like, like I said, it's a good, crazy, thinky little game in such a small like physical design space is phenomenal. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we've come to expect from button shy games, like multi-use cards. A lot of these cards actually serve like three or four different purposes in the game, depending on what you're doing and what the setup is. And you do see most of these cards multiple times in multiple uses in a single play. So that definitely expands it out a bit. I wouldn't sit down and play a bunch of games of this back to back to back like my kids do with Zombie Kids Evolution <laughs> because it would start to feel a little samey to me. So I sit down, I play one game, takes about half an hour, then I put it away and be like, okay, I did that and I'll play again later. It takes half an hour too. Wow. All in 18 cards. About that. Yeah. Pretty impressive. That's a lot of stuff. I happens. mean, some of that is that I'm looking, I'm like, wait, what does this do? And getting distracted. Your, your own AP aside. Well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like a super short, like five or 10 minute game mm. for sure. That's cool. Uh, let's see. So we've been talking a lot about this game, Featherlight from WizKids that we've been playing a fair bit. And uh, somebody had mentioned to us, oh, that sounds a lot like Fantasy Realms. And we had a copy of Fantasy Realms. We happen to have a copy of Fantasy Sit, Realms. Sitting on the, sitting sitting on the too, counter, so. I think. And so we pulled out Fantasy Realms and we played a couple of rounds of Fantasy Realms. And I got to tell you, Fantasy Realms is a lot like Featherlight. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, they're both these dynamic set collection games where yeah. you have a set number of cards in your hand and every turn you're picking up a card somehow and then putting down a card from your hand. So you're cycling this stuff in and out and trying to get the best combination of points possible combo stuff together in your hand. So there are some differences. So in Featherlight, it's a nest. And so there's six piles that kind of make a circle in the middle of the table. And as you discard cards, you're discarding them onto those piles. And the end game is when one of the decks runs out. In Fantasy Realms, you're not doing that. So you're discarding cards down onto the table, 
But the end conditions of the game are when every player has seven cards in their hand and there's 12 cards on the table or something like that. It might change. It, it depends on a little bit count. on the player count, but yeah, it's like 12 like cards are down or 14 so, cards are, are So those down, differences yeah. are minor. The bigger differences are that there's only like five or six different general kinds of cards in Featherlight. And there's like 10 different kinds of cards in Fantasy Realms. Yeah, there's 10 suits in Fantasy Realms. Yeah. And most of the suits have five different unique cards and there's also a lot more complexity on the cards themselves because cards can like clear out other cards or blank other cards or remove penalties or do things like that so fantasy realms is a much more gamery version of featherlight i'm gonna say i think i mean they're by completely different designers and everything Um, yeah but i mean they're both whiz kids so like they definitely went through the same development house and and there is a ton of similarity between them but there are some distinct differences i would say featherlight definitely feels like just a little bit more relaxed of a game i don't actually think it's any less cutthroat because of all the things that you're trying to do but i just think from an art style perspective and from the fact that i mean just the tone is so much less aggressive you know you're not fighting and you don't have warlike characters it's yeah you're not collecting armies and it's like watercolors of feathers it just feels more relaxed you know what i mean so there's definitely just going to be kind of stylistic preferences in, in what people get but i think that the only reason that we would keep both of them in our house is because featherlight appeals more to you and fantasy realms appeals more to our 12 year old yeah so (laughs) Um, I mean, I think we're going to play a couple more times with Asher, our 12 year old. He doesn't particularly like this style of game in general, the dynamic set collection, because he's a preteen boy. And once he gets something that he thinks is going to be good, he wants to hang on to it. And he doesn't want to keep being faced with this decision of, oh, but this might be better. Oh, but that's risky. I don't know what to keep and what to get rid of. Yeah, this actually Uh, makes me think about Sub Astral. You remember Sub Astral? That's another game that has this kind of a thing where you need to hold on to what you're trying to get, but you also need to be prepared to let it go. And I remember he struggled with that game too. Yeah. So maybe we should just have like a marathon of games that are just going to drive him through the ringer. Oh my goodness. Just to kind of break him and, uh, and you know, reform the way that he thinks about these kinds. I don't know, man. I don't know. No, Uh, I'm not that terrible. father. Uh, But Um, (laughs) the other big difference between fantasy realms and featherlight is that featherlight honestly has more player interaction. It's still kind of indirect, but fantasy realms, the only player interaction is, Oh, you put down that card. I want that card. Or I have this card in my hand. It's not great for me, but I think you're really going to want it. So maybe I should try to hang on to it just to deprive it's you. It's like indirect hate drafting or yeah. uh, hate holding, uh, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> but in Featherlight, the end scoring for each person is based on both your hand and the nest. So there's a lot more jockeying within the nest of I really want one black card in the nest and not two black cards in the nest. Oh no, he put down another black card. I need to cover it up or I need to pick it up and put it in my hand or something. And you don't necessarily know what other people's goals are, but you get that interaction and it also feels more, not chaotic, but you have less control with more players in the game. A good chunk of your score is going to be based on what's in the nest and you don't have a whole lot of control over what's in the nest. I think they're both good games. I think they're going to appeal to very different sets of people. And we'll probably talk about it some more when we review Featherlight, I think. Sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I looked at that. It looks like it just came out of Essen. So that one's relatively, relatively new release. Featherlight is, yeah. yeah. Fantasy Realms has been out for a couple of years. Sweet. 
Oh man, does that bring it back around to Chad for the last go is it, around? Is it me again? Oh, I got thrown off because Mitra was talking so much about, uh, about yeah. your game. <laughs> um, <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah, for you guys, you gotta like come up with like your own games. Like, and obviously, you guys both probably play a lot of the games together. So you're like, you can't take. I'm taking this one. You can't take it. I kind of yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna che- I'm, I'm gonna cheat and go two for because they're both by the same designer. So I'll I'll, I'll make up my own rules <laughs> here and just cheat. So I'm gonna say keeping light. I feel like lately I've just been doing light stuff. Monstrosity and Tattoo Stories, which are both by Eric Slauson. Mm. Two different publishers, but same designer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Both party games, both drawing party games. That's why I'm kind of two for them because we've, we've been playing both lately. For those who don't know, so Monstrosity, all the players are, like, what do you call them? Like the police sketch artist type folks, right? And so one person who's the person that's, that's the, the witness of a crime. Okay, so and they get to see this piece of art, this illustration, which is it's called monstrosity, like monster, because the illustrations are super zany, right? It'd be like something with like a chicken head, and it <laughs> has like an octopus body or whatever, and it's holding a cup of coffee or something, and some chicken nuggets. Who knows, right? But the witness can look at this drawing for only a few minutes, or like one minute, like thirty seconds, forty five seconds. And you had to you put it away. That's, that's like the the criminal, right? So you got to describe the criminal. to everyone. Everyone else is kind of like asking you questions, like, oh, well, what kind of coffee it was it like a starbucks big cup or it was it like a coffee mug because they're trying to sketch out the monster and then there's like voting for like who you know had like the best monster and interpretation or whatever and stuff so it's just stupid light and it's crazy fun even if you can't draw sometimes like the terrible drawings are sometimes the funniest right so it's not like you have to have some yes. super skill at drawing do you feel like that plays well at different skill levels for drawing so like adults and kids i, I, I would think so i, I think it definitely cleverness i think sometimes can get rewarded a little bit there and even in tattoo stories kind of similar thing like you're all tattoo artists and try to win the business of a person who wants a tattoo that's hit several different topics well i think the drawing skill sometimes the worst drawings are fun but i think it's the cleverness of like (laughs) how you just interpret it i think can sometimes help you win but and i think kids sure Sure, sure, sure. Playing it, like you guys know, right? Like you, you have a family. Like kids have really weird ways of processing and thinking about stuff sometimes that can just be something you wouldn't yeah. think of and it's kind of funny. I think they could try. I'm not sure I do the tattoo story one with a kid because I guess kids know what tattoos are. So I, right. don't ask me. But um, <laughs> Monstrosity is, is definitely one I think kids will play. Cool. Yeah, I think we played Monstrosity. Oh, well, we have it. It's on the shelf. In the there. in the before times at PAX Unplugged. I think you and one of the kids did. I think it was when we split up at one point. Because uh, I maybe, didn't play it. I yeah. definitely did not. I remember being really excited about it to you. Because it was just really fun to try to figure it out. And at the end, you kind of... Everybody looks around and you're like, Oh, yeah, you know what? Yours really is the closest. Or whatever. Yeah. All right, Anitra. I talked about your games too much. I have uh, run out of games to talk about, but you have one more. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, it's a game we've talked about a lot. It's a game that's getting plenty of buzz. It's a game that is sold out everywhere, and we're waiting to publish a review until it's closer to it being available again. I played a solo game of Flamecraft. It's the same game. My only issue with playing Flamecraft solo is that on every turn, there's a legitimate possibility that you are going to both put out a dragon and move an enchantment onto a store Mm. and i definitely think it happens more often than it would in a real game uh, especially a two-player game because sure i wouldn't call it an automata or whatever automa or whatever they call it like i it's not quite that complex of a thing it's just like 
flip over a dragon card and put it in the first available spot if there is one. And if you place a dragon card, see if there's an enchantment that has the same suit. And if there is one of those, then put that enchantment on a shop. That's pretty much it. But that means that more often than not, you are probably putting out a dragon and putting an enchantment on a shop in one turn. And I really felt like that filled things up because there's only a certain number of shops and then and then the game's going to be over. Or actually what happened to me is I think my enchantment deck ran out. I was going to say, it's the game ends either when the enchantments run out or when the dragons run out. Yeah, there were so. plenty of dragons, but the enchantment deck ran out. And I, it ran out in what I would consider to be a fairly short amount of time. I mean, because, you know, when you're only one person, you, there's no downtime, right? Right. Even right, if you're right. doing the uh, the board stuff, you're still doing it. And, like, my score was, like, 60 or something. And, like, the lowest range was, like, 0 to 74. I was like, well, I, I obviously suck at this game. But also it, it moved a lot faster than I kind of expected it to without like a lot of things really happening. It's just I burned through the enchantment so quickly. Mm, but sure, I mean, sure. maybe I should have just been playing on those shops where all the enchantments are. I was going to say, I feel like the advantage to something like that is, you know, you should be able to go to those shops that are getting new dragons and new enchantments and just collect a ton of stuff so that you can turn around and well only kind of because and i didn't even realize this until i was playing the solo mode all of the player tokens are the same colors as all of the elements correct and that was done intentionally yeah in the solo mode what that means is you also place the dragon token on that shop as well Mm. so now i've got a shop that's super op but if i go there i've got to pay stuff yeah, but you only have to give one thing, and if the I know. shop is super OP, it's worth it. I listen. I won't even pay for a Spotify membership, and you're telling me that I'm going to have to. <laughs> he give, was talking about give paying a buck for a Paramount and canceling like, after a happening. month. So like, there you go. I mean, listen, <laughs> listen. Don't hate the player, hate the game. You know. I mean, come on. <laughs> Would you recommend like, like if someone was thinking about getting Flamecraft, but only play solo? It sounds like you wouldn't recommend to pick up Flamecraft unless. You were going to play it multiplayer. Um, I still think it's a good experience, and I definitely think it's a great game that if you primarily play games solo, but you have friends over sometimes that might not be big gamers, it's definitely like anybody can get into a theme of like, unless you're like, I want to play Star Wars, death, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Like anybody can come over and play a game with cute dragons in it. Like, that's fine. I, I mean, yeah, no one doesn't like cute little dragons helping out in cute yeah. little shops well like it because it's got that neoprene mat you know it's an it's just a nice experience on the table it, it's good it's nice you know i i wouldn't i think it's a stronger game at higher player counts and there's i think there's a couple other like solo mode things that i just didn't do because it was my first time playing it solo that that might spice it up a little bit more there's like one of the things that's kind of cool about it is there are achievements like there's a few games like this like calico is a game that has like all these achievements in it it's not a legacy game it's not a campaign game but it does have achievements that you can accomplish that are in you know the back of the rule book or whatever yeah and flamecraft has those too but the way flamecraft does it if you get you know such and such achievements then you can mix these other shops in as your starting shops instead of the starting like so it actually rewards you more than just like checking off a box in the back of the manual sure so I mean, that kind of thing is cool. I mean, it's already rare enough that I play a game solo. So I, I mean, like, it's less rare these days. You've I know, done but, it like but I feel like I'm, I'm not the best arbiter of whether or not a solo game is worth it, I guess is what I'm saying. Sure. But I do think it's the kind of game that it looks great on the shelf. I think it looks great on the table. 
if you primarily play solo, but every once in a while you have friends over and you want to try to get them to play a game that you might like, I think it's a good option for that. Like it's not a super crunchy game. So I think it ticks a lot mm. of those boxes. So all right, I yeah. like that idea. Let's Flamecraft solo. And the review for that is written and either coming out the same day as this podcast or coming out a week later. Yeah, undecided as of recording. Yeah, that all depends on the weekend. <laughs> so that's it. I guess that's, is that everything? Uh, I, I guess that's everything. all of our games. All right. So uh, why don't we do this? We're going to take a quick break. You guys are going to hear about another game that we've been playing a little bit of lately, which is Kabuto Sumo. And then when we come back, we're going to hear all about 25th Century Games and all the crazy stuff that Chad is doing, including this super sweet game that I have right next to me on my desk, which I'm excited about. All right, we'll be right back. What do you know about sumo wrestling? I get that it's a historic sport in Japan, but it's really not for me. I prefer most people stay fully dressed. And for the record, I feel the same way about wrestling in America. Okay, but what if I told you that we would be watching a nature show about Beatles wrestling? Would you be in for that? Uh, maybe. That could be interesting. <laughs> oh, especially if you could get Morgan Freeman or Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, that's not going to happen. But maybe we can play a game about wrestling Beatles. Specifically, Kabuto Mushi, which means helmet bug in Japanese. That's right. We're talking about Kabuto Sumo. This is a snap review for Kabuto Sumo, a dexterity game by Tony Miller and published by Allplay. Kabuto Sumo is for two to four players ages six and up. According to the box, a game lasts 15 to 20 minutes. We're also going to give you a free bonus and talk about the expansion. Total mayhem. Total mayhem. So let's talk about the art in this game. All right. Most of the art in Kabuto Sumo is really found on the box or on the player cards. There's eight beetle wrestlers, each with special abilities, and there's also five junior league versions for younger players. All of the cards have a close-up on the back with an interesting true fact about the particular beetle. The beetles are these cute sumo-printed wooden pieces, and there are wooden discs and all kinds of other shapes that you'll be pushing onto this table. Wait, is that brown circle what I think it is? Uh, only if you're the dung beetle. All right, discs, beetles, board. How do we play Kabuto Sumo? Kabuto Sumo plays a lot like those coin pusher games that you see in arcades. And that kind of makes sense, since sumo wrestling is all about pushing the other player out of the ring. Set up the little table with tokens according to the layout in the manual. It's different if you have two, three, or four players. Each player or team gets a starting inventory of discs. Junior leaguers will get some of their special items, too. Players or teams alternate turns using the pushing platform. The rule here is that you must push the disc in a straight line until it's fully on the board, but you don't have to push it directly toward the center. Any discs that fall off go back to the supply of the player who pushed a disc in. This is how you get to keep playing. After pushing a piece onto the board, players may be able to perform their Beatles signature move. You can see them on the player cards. The game ends when someone manages to push a beetle off the board. The game can also end if a player or a team runs out of pieces. That player is eliminated. But wait, we can't forget about total mayhem! This expansion adds some hilarious twists to a game that is 
already kind of ridiculous. If you decide to play with a Total Mayhem expansion, you'll start by picking two of the eight Total Mayhem cards. Put one match side up and the other one item side up. Do whatever extra setup they call for. Some match cards add new win conditions, and some add new Total Mayhem abilities. There's also a ton of new items in the game, like the Jasper table. This used to be board game tables after all. The coffin or the ladder for escalation matches. These items and more add a ton of new ways to play, and it's hilarious to watch our kids fighting over the escalation ladder or the symphony of destruction. All right, so this is a game we had heard about before we got a chance to get it to our table. What did we expect from Kabuto Sumo? Well, I expected kind of a fairly light dexterity game. We all know those coin pusher machines from the arcades and how whatever you push never really seems to go quite where you expect it to go. And I kind of expected that here. I didn't really think we'd have a game that we could get everyone around the table since there's five of us and the game only supports four. But I figured it would be a fun way to get the kids to the table. And I knew it was a pretty good spectator game because I had seen it at conventions before. I had heard great things about Kabuto Sumo, and I actually followed its development on social media a couple of years ago. The coin pusher idea looked really fun. That's not something you see often, even in dexterity games. But we did have a couple of surprises. We did. So the game really met most of my expectations, but one huge surprise that I had was that games could really drag. The game's fun to drop in and play, but two evenly matched people could spend 30 minutes or more trying to wrestle one player off the board. It really did tend to get a little bit long in the tooth, which I didn't expect at all. That's actually something I really like about the expansion, adding new victory conditions, because there's a lot more to look out for, and it does a good job of shortening games in general. I agree. Games took longer than I expected, and I was slightly disappointed that the pushing ramp doesn't always line up exactly with the platform. I know this is really minor, but it can prevent you from pushing pieces smoothly, and that's a big part of the game. If it's not going to line up, I wish it would have been just higher than the board, right? and then it wouldn't have been a problem. But anyway, Anitra, do we recommend Kabuto Sumo? I'm going to say yes, we do, but with some reservations. This game is fun and silly, and it doesn't really have anything else like it on the market. So if it sounds appealing, go for it. It's about $45 new, which is a little on the expensive side. And it's hard to get right now unless you get it with the All-Star expansion, which we didn't cover. And that'll run you about $60. Total Mayhem is more on top of that. So it's a little expensive to go all in, but it's a lot of fun as long as you don't let it go too long. This game is totally age-independent, it looks fantastic on the table, and everybody in the family can get into it. In fact, maybe you can settle some arguments with Wrestling Beatles. So with all that said, Anitra, what do you think we'll rate Kabuto Sumo and Total Mayhem from All Play? I think we're going to rate it three and a half out of five Helmet Beatles. <laughs> and that's Kabuto Sumo in, in a, a Snap! snap. with Chad Elkins of 25th Century Games. What's going on, man? Hey, hey. Andrew is really excited. <laughs> so, Chad, uh, you have been absolutely crushing it. I actually, I, I don't know who I was talking to about this, but, like, I don't know how you do as much as you do as a single human being uh, with 25th Century Games. So, <laughs> you've been a lot of, lot, lot of sleepless nights, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you've been working with, like, legendary designers. Just doing some some really, really great stuff. I have in my hands, I got it in the mail this week. In your hot little my hands. My hot little hands, my Kickstarter edition of Motor City, 
from uh, Motor City Gameworks and 25th Century Games. Yeah. So talk a little bit about 25th Century. I think the first game we ever saw from 25th Century was was maybe Robots Love Ice Cream. That might have oh, been I mean, that, that case I you go. I don't. I don't super know. way back then. Yeah, because oh, yeah. that was like literally the first one, right? Like that's as far back as yeah. you can go. <laughs> yeah. So talk a little bit about 25th Century, like as a company. Like where did it come from? Where'd the name come from? For example, what made you want to be a board game publisher? Yeah, uh, a lot of questions. So um, it, it's all, I guess, in some way connected. So I most like most people who get into this hobby, especially if you get into it beyond just casual gaming or friends, whether it's creating content, whether it's publishing, whether it's designing or illustrating or, or writing rule books. There's so many different ways you can plug yourself in and, and be a part of this really fantastic industry. So yeah, I was a gamer like most people, right? And just enjoyed it. At the time I was working at a, a mobile video game startup company uh, here in Atlanta. And huh. first game that was being released in this company was Robots of Ice Cream. It's a little arcade mobile shooter type game where you're driving an ice cream truck and shooting weaponized ice cream and getting robots. They're trying to steal ice cream from the planet. So what I thought was like, oh, this make, you could make a fun kind of card gimmick, take this and port it over to tabletop. This is like 2016, I guess at this point. And I was like, well, so I went to the, the company fo- company heads and I was like, Hey, what do y'all think about maybe we like moved on a parallel path with the company? Like and we develop mobile games and then take some of the characters and art and stuff we're creating and, and port it over and, and kind of do a dual path type of a, an approach. You know, and then they were really just wanted to be focused on just mobile, right? Which is stay focused what you're trying to do and don't get distracted with our stuff. So I get it. And I was like, well, what if I came up with a card game design work together and I can get the, the rights to the, the art and that kind of stuff. And then, then just make it and see what happens. Uh, so that's what I did. So I obviously had to come up with a game company title, you know, publishing name, whatever. And then 25th century just came from, I've always been like a big like space, like sci-fi fan, watch a lot of old mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sci-fi films and like old sci-fi shows and stuff. And for some reason, like I had like 25th century, it was like always sounded like it comes up in a lot of different TV shows and films. It's just always kind of this out there time period that like everything is different and crazy cool and futuristic, right? You have like Buck Rogers and like um, <laughs> there's some Star Trek stuff in the 25th century sure. or whatever. And you've got obviously the Looney Tunes just kind of makes fun of Buck Rogers. And like it just it just felt like futuristic and sci-fi and, and it just kind of I needed a logo and a name. And so just went with it. That was kind of how that got going. <laughs> that works. Yeah. So yeah. So then from there, it was just, you know, working on their games. Yeah. Nice. It's, a, it's a lot uh, better to pick something that's several hundreds of years in the future uh, then be like, oh, yes, 50 years from now, we will all be driving flying cars. Well, because we're watching those shows now on TV and we're like, okay, Mr. Show that came out in the 70s. Like, we don't, where's my flying car? Right. Like all that stuff, right? So There are so many movies and TV shows that like are setting right now, you know, it's like, oh, well, technically we should be escape from New York type vibe right now, you know, kind of the thing or whatever, like, but. (laughs) <laughs> or, or even like the hover skateboard from back to the future and right. that, what mr fusion or whatever yeah. <laughs> right. so funny so are you now is 25th century is that your full-time thing is that or are you still working with the mobile game company like how's that working out no so that that ended not too long after that and that next that mobile game studio uh-huh. uh, no longer exists and so they it kind of morphed and evolved into a digital like, agency building apps you know and like things for companies sure so they don't even make games anymore but yeah so no, this it's still not my full-time gig so i do have another job as well 
So it's still that's amazing. I don't know how you do it, man. You know, which I makes am, it even even harder. Very very impressed. And each of the things I do a lot, and I'm impressed by what you're doing. So that's <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. But <laughs> well, I have a lot of help, so it's not you know it's not just me. I'm like I'm more like a mission control than anything else, right? So there's a lot of people I work with mm-hmm. on every project for the most part, or almost every project, and other people that get inserted in based on the project. But it, it's just a, it's a reasonably small group, you know. And of course, it, like I just have to play almost like quarterback, right? More than anything else. Sure, sure. Well, that works. Sure. That works. So you have a lot of things, I mean, even going on uh, kind of now. Um, so you just had a game drop like this past weekend. Sure. Yeah. So Gasha uh, just came out last week. Gasha is... So not originally mine, not originally. So, so some of the titles that I publish are actually were originally made in another country, another language, and so it's, it's called it's called localization. You know, it's kind of is the industry term for it. So you should take a game that's in a different language and release in another country, and you lo- license the game rights from the, that publisher, and you localize it in the U.S. or in your country, whatever that country may be. And so you have to you go through it and you, a lot of times you have to rewrite the rule book because it's not in the, your, your language and, you know, change some of the assets around to work, you know, as, appropriately where as needed. But that's one way to bring other games over. You don't have to create from scratch. They find games that are fit your catalog and fit your audience or games that you like and you think, you know, your U.S. or English, whatever audience you think would enjoy because you like it, then another way to kind of expose gamers to different games from around the world. So that's Gasha. That is one that just happened. And it's all based on Japanese toy dispenser machines. They're called Gashapons. You've probably seen them and didn't know what it was called, but it's like those crank type machines where you put money in and a little capsule pops down and you can get a, one of a variety of different little toys. Uh, so it's based on that concept. I'm looking at the entry on BGG right now. And I got to say, this game is very bright. Like these are some powerful colors. Uh, <laughs> this is a game that's going to pop off the tabletop for sure. Well, it makes me think of uh, all the vending machines. On the rare occasion that I step foot in the mall, there is still a bank of vending machines that our kids immediately gravitate towards with like quarters in hand. Yeah. Let me crank them around and get some colorful candy or a dumb little cheap toy or yeah, all those It's things. really remarkable how badly our children just want to spend money. Yeah, I don't I don't just want stuff. Why just stuff. Is, but just stuff. Stuff stuff stuff. stuff. Always more stuff. In some ways, I'm sad that the kids' gifts and the things that they want are getting more expensive, but at least they're getting smaller. So and um, fewer. And <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a little okay. With it. So ga- this is a set collection game, Gasha. Can you talk about kind of what you're doing in this? Sure. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a drafting out of a central lineup, and you're just trying to build sets of different types of those little toys. So from a premise standpoint, you're like, oh, that sounds like nothing original and sounds pretty basic. But where it's really clever, you put out all the gashas, the little toys, face down in like four stacks. Now, the back of that card is where it gets really interesting because in the back of the card, it's a little toy vending machine, but they're either going to be two or three icons on it. So the, what's on the opposite side, what that card is, is one of those things. So you know, like, oh, in this card, I got a 50-50 oh, shot yeah. at getting this toy. Yeah. On this card, I got a... 30% shot, 33% shot getting this, that what I need. But I also maybe Mike could use the other one for a different set I'm working on. So that's a two out of three chance I'll get something I need. So you're kind of just taking pressure a lot, kind of gambles on, like, am I going to get the card I need? And you grab it and you're like, you're either excited or you're like, dang, you know, I didn't get it. And so that piece is like where I think the game is really interesting. But the set collection part is you're just redeeming them. 
Uh, and sometimes you get little bonus rewards if you get matching tickets and some things like that. But very simple. Like I literally just told you how to play. Like either pick up two cards or you turn in a set. That's it. Next player. And so the approachableness to it, the, the very, very cute art factor. It's just, it, it's more addicting than you think it is to, to sit and play it. Oh, I've played enough games that I can definitely imagine how this <laughs> is addictive. <laughs> there's something about, I don't want to say the art style is exactly reminiscent of, but there's definitely something about kind of the mood of this game that reminds me a little bit of another game that actually we reviewed that uh, you published last year, which is Ghost Love Candy 2 from uh, from Danny Devine. Yeah, so Ghost Love Candy 2 is um same like, it's just very approachable, attractive art that would appeal, I think, to kids or even adults. Danny's like a switch hitter, you know, for because uh, he actually <laughs> illustrated that game and did the design work for it. Very talented individual. And But that was like, that was one that was an older game. We, we actually called our new version Ghost Love Candy 2, T-O-O, because it actually was a game that Danny made over a decade ago uh, with Steve Jackson called Ghost Love Candy. Yeah. So he had the rights back for it. And we uh, wanted to bring it back, remake it, change the components up a little bit, tweak some of the design and just make it a little bit bigger, like more kids, you know, more ghosts, things like that. And so we could, we didn't really want to call it like a sequel because it wasn't necessarily a sequel, but it was also like kind of an expansion upon the original. That's the two T-O-O. It's the same game, but more. Same game, more, right. Yeah. yeah, same same weight class, I would say. Like, actually, Gasha may even fall a little bit below because there's no reading in Gasha, right? Like there's no kid ability text to read oh, and understand. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, so that was last week. And then next week, we have another game coming out called Volanimo, uh, which is another card game. Volanimo is another, This it's actually another localization. Uh, this one came in from France, from Bruno Cathala, famous uh, designer, made a ton of games. Uh, but it's a it's a, a ladder climbing card shedding game. You, you guys, I think, played Oh My Brain, which we released last year on October. Mm-hmm. Also a Bruno Cathala game with uh, Tio Rivera. But same premise, you're trying to get rid of your cards. So it's uh, if families play a lot of Uno, right, this would be a little bit different way to try to play a game similar to Uno. So it's like one of those things where if you like Uno, try Oh My Brain or try, you know, try Volanimo to kind of move into a, a ladder climbing type game. And so that one's all about cute animals on bikes. And it's like a, it's a bicycle race. It's almost like the Tour de France kind of thing. There's five waves and you're trying to like win each wave and get the jersey and start first next time and things like that. Yeah, I uh, I really like the art in that game. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I always say I really like the art in that game. But um, <laughs> there's definitely something about the art in Volanimo that I find really appealing. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's once again, you, you've got some cuteness there. These are cute animals, but they're cute animals doing a ludicrous thing very seriously. So <laughs> right. like they're, well, I mean, cause yeah, any, that's any, probably a pretty good description actually. Yeah. yeah right. These animals could not actually ride a bike, but they're somehow managing it. And like the cow is way bent over and the camel has literally a tank of water strapped to their back. And right. You can tell they are being very serious bike racers, even though it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and the, the cheetah is on a penny farther, right? He's like way up on the top of the wheel or he, it, whatever. And then, but I mean, there's no way his, yes. his feet could touch the pedals, you know? Like, so it's just, uh, yeah, so it's, it's clean too, right? Like it's just, it's a very simple, the box is all white, but like, and the cards themselves are just colors. So it's just colors and numbers. So it suits and numbers. But it's just a very clean aesthetic. You know, and it's just easy to quickly identify and, and just play like a, like a quick card game should be. The graphic design should be intuitive and very easy to pick up. The art shouldn't hinder that process. It's just there for color and some flavor on top of that. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. 
Man, so I mentioned that you're doing a crazy amount of stuff. So that's two games, but there's still four more that are coming this year. And that's not even counting Motor City, right? No, that's including Motor City. That's including Motor City, which is at the uh, other end of the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That would be accurate. You're like, oh, if I like Gasha, I'll I'll like, I can play Motor City. No, no, Motor City is definitely a whole other level. Um, I'll get the next one. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the the next release on the calendar after Volanimo is going to be, it will be, that will be, um, oh, no, so it'll be Blazin'. So Blazin is the end of the month. This is a homegrown. This is an original. Uh, so kick started uh, last year. So that's finally just fulfilled recently. That's coming to retail. This is one where like it's um it kind of blew me away when I first uh, when David Conklin first showed it to me at a Proto ATL event because it's one of those things where the gamers are always saying well, well where are the new themes right like, I'm always playing the same theme same stuff. You know, give me something new, like something new to do. And this hits that. Like it's a the game is about definitely that. Yeah, there's no other game I know like it. Right? It's based around medieval heraldry, which is this art and science that kind of formed back in the Middle Ages or High Middle Ages around coat of arms or like decorating like your shield or almost like your family crest type stuff. This is all where it came. So the blazoning of arms. And so you would have on your shield in battle, these different either heroic events that you've done or family related things. It's just kind of all about who you are, right? It's literally a game about you literally making a big shield that's that's your player board and you're drafting and kind of swapping out cards to like fill out this heraldic story but it's all rooted in real heraldry and so like the placements the types of things you're putting on your board don't violate kind of the natural flow of like a normal shield coat of arms would be mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it looks fantastic and of course you know tool brought to life visually which is amazing yeah yeah for Naturally. sure after that then after that would be motor city okay, so motor city will be in march uh, that is the Third game in what they're calling like the loaded roll and write series. So this are, these are these are three games all by the same two designers, it's Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback. The first one was published by Eagle Griffin Games called Fleet the Dice Game, uh, which is really kind of a trailblazer, <laughs> I guess you could say. Absolutely, we're, oh, we're yes. big fans. Everybody who has listened to the show has heard us talk about this, game. <laughs> <laughs> and probably also about Three Sisters. I mean, which are really, I mean, they, they created a new genre. I think so. I think so. Most of the heavyweight roll and rights coming out now, I think you could probably trace back to a lot of the, the work that they they blazed with that game. Yeah, I think. So. Then, of course, Three Sisters was the second one, which we put out last year. Um, with, with them, with Matt and Ben, and then uh, Motor City is the third. So this is the, it has number three on the back of the box. It's the third in that, that heavy roll and write series, that loaded roll and write series. This one's all about Detroit, so auto making, right? Like you're literally going through the production plant to build a car. You can sell a car. You can test drive a car. All just in a roll and write game experience. That is very thinky. All the games in the series are very combo driven, very thinky. The turns themselves are, are pretty simple to explain. I'll oh, just do this and do this, but like you will do that for five minutes because it takes so long to kind of work your way through all the combos. <laughs> oh, that lets me do another thing. Yeah, and then yeah, that yeah. lets me do another thing. And right. oh, and then I got a thing over here I still got to do. Yeah, I feel like like dings going out. It's like ding, 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 ding. It's just like, it's just like this craziness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe you don't know the answer to this question, but I know, because we had Matt Riddle on the show maybe six months ago or something like that. He definitely said that they're planning on putting one of these out every year or or at least hoping to. Do you know if you've got, is that like an ongoing thing? Should we expect these coming from 25th or are they going to 
go over to the Motor City Games Works side, or do you not know? So the, the Kickstarter itself and the game, like Matt and Ben and Adam, Adam Hill, are all part of Motor City Game Works. You know, they all have a hand in focusing on this, you know, roughly one game a year you know, kind of plan, right? And so they want full control over it. You know, they want, it's like their vision, how they want to bring it to life from a theme perspective, art perspective, design perspective. And they want to, they enjoy running Kickstarters like, and, and kind of involving and being there with the, uh, the audience in that creation process. So uh, obviously Motor City and Three Sisters, we teamed up, you know, to kind of, once the Kickstarter piece is over and they're kind of done with that creation aspect, they didn't have as much of a, a desire to go the rest of the way and like see all the rest of the backend stuff and like from a retail distribution standpoint and all that. So that's where our partnership kind of lines up. I like both of them. We worked on another game together that was an original game called Holly Jolly. That's how we first met, and which is a very, very light, nowhere near as heavy as these. It's a very, very light card <laughs> game for Christmas. <laughs> they do a lot of light games. People, people don't always think about them with Fleet and Three Sisters and Motor City and some other stuff, but they actually do make a lot of very good light games, you know, like, uh, like Ladder 29 and yeah. Holly Jolly and so- Stellar. And you mentioned Sebastrol earlier, right? Well, mm-hmm. even yep. uh, Cow Tiger Santa Claus. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and they did the that. Goonies game. Yep. So really, really great designers. And across, they, they do a, a wide spectrum of stuff. But yeah, so Motor City, you know, we're moving forward with our partnership for that. And, and everything keeps working well. And we're, we're all happy and everything. And I, I hope that we'll keep the plan and process moving because it seems to be working well for both of us. All right. I'm hanging my hat on hopefully. Works for me. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one, I'm excited about the third one that's coming out. So the, oh, that would be the fourth loaded roll and write, but the third one from their studio as far as the creation process, which is French Quarter. That'll be on Kickstarter this year. It's um, yeah, that, that one I'm excited about. So it's a great theme and unique. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Taking notes. There you go, French Quarter. And I, I don't know when they're launching that. I know it's at some point coming up in the next probably couple months or so. And then you're doing a Kickstarter. Yes. So coming up. I haven't set the exact date yet in my head. I've set it. I'm making sure we'll have everything done to make it happen. I was actually supposed to launch in January. So I'll be the first to admit that it's late when I wanted to launch, mainly because of the prototype. I couldn't get made in time to have it be available for previews before the, the Kickstarter was ready to go. It's three games. So two of the prototypes were done and I had them. I was waiting on one more because the pieces that were involved in it were just a little more intensive and molding was required and some other stuff to, to get them made. And at the end of last year, it wasn't really talked about a whole lot, but there was another really massive COVID outbreak in China uh, in December. And a lot of manufacturing plants were all closed for weeks, almost a whole month. And so that impacted timelines on me getting the, those prototypes. And so they finally came in. This is for Agueda, which is one of the three. And... All those are out to the first wave of previewers. And so once I have enough of those back in, I feel confident, then I'll set the date. Again, I'm shooting for hopefully the week of Tantrum Con. So that way I can launch it and then go, go to Tantrum Con and have it available and people can play and stuff like that. Oh, man, you you stole my thunder. I was going to drop, because uh, I know we've got some listeners who are going to be at Tantrum Con. And I was going to drop like, hey, you can meet Chad at Tantrum Con. But now everybody knows. Well, we can meet Chad at Tantrum Con. We'll yeah, and you guys are going, which is, uh, which is exciting. <laughs> we're, we're planning on it. So will you have these prototypes with you at tantrum con yeah i was i'll have a practically hear andrew salivating now. <laughs> so the three games that are that are in it all be in one campaign so all three games they're all different designers different artists different themes um, but they are all basically tile lane games it's kind of the loose thread to connect them all uh, so we'll just go in alphabetical order so the first is agueda uh, which is based on the city or town of agueda portugal which is the home original location for the umbrella project 
which is this organization. They start. They basically put these art installations up you know, in between like a narrow street. And there's like umbrellas all throughout the air. It's just beautiful landscapes. They do an annual festival every year. Like they decorate streets, have other art installations and things like that. But this project has expanded outside of just Agueda. There have been some installations here in the U.S. and in Italy and France and, and all around the world. So this game is set in that original city of, uh, of Agueda and you're laying tiles out into a city, kind of building out your own art installation uh, above the street with little umbrellas, so little plastic molded shaped kind of domed umbrellas. So that's, the first, that's one. Sweet. And then uh, Color Field is, the, is another one. So that's designed by Mondo Davis. Uh, this is a, the most abstract of the three games from a tiling standpoint. Basically, you're painting a canvas. Color Field is an art movement back in the 50s and 60s is where it started in, like, in, up in New York. And it's just an abstract painting style. And you're trying to draft and, and rotate and arrange and, and organize tiles to try to match the most colors around each edge. And so it's a very, very short game. It takes about 20 minutes to play, but it's extremely thinky and dense. And if you have AP problems, your brain will melt trying to play it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the third one, again, keeping the tiling, it's a donut shop. This one is designed by Jeff Allers. So Jeff Allers, you may know from New York Slice. So it's a Bezier game, very, very popular. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So same designer, but it's uh, all about you're running a donut shop set in the 19, 1940s, and you're building a communal center board with donut tiles. And then you're also trying to collect and draft certain cards to fulfill orders that let you box donuts. And by boxing them, you place blockers in the middle of the tile placement in the area, which cuts off the ways you can score points. So very, very clever, but super simple hmm. rule set. And the, and the donut art makes me hungry every time I play it. Like I literally want to eat donuts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so well, That happened with me in New York Slice. So that track. Yeah, you, you want to eat pizza, yeah. same thing. So if you own both games, you might as well yeah. just order in some delivery and, and get some Duncan <laughs> or crispy or whatever. But then you got to buy those like finger chopstick things so you don't ruin the games. Oh uh, yeah, like those little donuts and the pizza. Little doodads, you put your games. fingers, eat Cheetos. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, so that, those two, those three are all in the same campaign. So you can get them all at one time. You can buy just one of them, buy two of them. Obviously, we'll do a combo meal discount, right? You know, if you want to get all three, and of course, what's also nice about it, I think from a backer perspective is from a, like a dollar cost per game, it really helps on shipping, right? Which is a common, you know, you have to deal with shipping prices. Everyone oh, yeah, does yeah. on the publisher side and the backer side. But for me to ship you three games in one box, a little bit bigger box is not that much more than shipping you one game, you know, in a box. And so you can really kind of dollar cost average down the, the cost per shipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Once you pay the price of admission, the upgrade is fair. It's a, yeah, it's amazing. And it's not even people are running a small card game on Kickstarter, like a small indie publisher. And you're like, well, the game is only $10, but why is shipping 15? And people just don't get like the cost of something and the size of it doesn't always necessarily translate to the cost to ship it. Right. But yeah. So that's those three. So are you going to like actually sleep after that starter? <laughs> Is that the plan? No. So, <laughs> well, then you got to get ready for a couple other things hitting retail at, right after that leading right after, right on the origins, which is the you know, first kind of big show I'll be at in June. You know, actually, uh-huh. Con regionally here, but then yeah. So in between that, there'll be so Raw will release the retail. Then between that, you know, that period and Origins Resist, which is a solo only game uh, localizing from a Spanish company called Salt and Pepper. It's a solo game about the Franco-Spanish War and like the Resistance fighters. Very very cool card game. And then a very small card game called FICA, it's like Swedish desserts and coffees and oh yeah, I want to say it's like twenty five cards uh, and some tokens. It's very very cute. Beth Solo did the artwork; it's really pretty. 
And then, of course, Space Explorers and Prehistories, which are two games that were released before, have two expansions coming out this summer as well. So all that will kind of be happening right around Origins Gen Con area. Awesome. That is a lot. I don't... Wow. All right. Okay. That's a lot. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, that's all you say is that's a lot of games. Yeah, no doubt. But like I said, got a lot of great folks that I work with that make that happen and across different publishers in some of the, some cases, like the localization stuff, and then folks that I regularly work with internally, you know, like Matt Paquette and stuff, and Joel and Kate Finch and, and people like that. Awesome. I mean, I think you must be growing every year. And, uh, you know, it sounds like 23 is going to be another banner year for 25th century. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to us actually meeting in like three weeks. It's only three weeks away. Right. Tantrum Con. Yeah, so that's going to be pretty exciting. I'm not looking forward to the 12 hour drive, but I am looking forward to being there and seeing some people and hanging out and doing some good stuff. So it is worth it. It is a fun They They really do. And I know it's one of the newer shows only been around. I think this will be the fourth year of it. But it's it's really an amazing, super family friendly, as you would expect in a convention. That they, I feel like that when they do so much stuff to help entertain kids throughout the day, while parents are possibly like wanting the game. Kids are in these ballrooms with like all kinds of, of, of stuff to entertain them, and I feel like they just really create a fun, safe space where families can go and, and each have their own type of fun. Right? That's awesome. Sure, love sure. it. So, Chad, so if people want to ask about the, I don't know, 75 games you have coming out this year, <laughs> where would they go online to find you? Where would they go to like ask questions or whatever? Yeah, so just 25thcenturygames.com and then all the social channels is all 25th Century games of some kind. Pretty easy to find. I think all the links, I think, are on the website. So if you really want to do that, and of course, sign up for the newsletter on the email so you don't miss pre-order windows and don't miss Kickstarter campaigns and you know, we'll sell overruns, you know, deluxe stuff that was on, was on Kickstarter. It's not going in retail. So all that stuff goes through our site and at conventions. Nice. And so it's a good way to keep up. Awesome. Anisha, where can people find us on the internet? Well, hopefully you know by now that you can find our website with 500 something reviews <laughs> and 329 podcast episodes. So many. So That's many. crazy thefamilygamers.com but we are also on social media you can find us on facebook and twitter and instagram and tiktok and youtube at familygamersaa you can always email us we actually had some really great emails back and forth with some show listeners this week we love talking to show listeners whether it's on the social media or whether it's via email you can mm -hmm. email me andrew at thefamilygamers.com anitra at thefamilygamers.com like we said Tantrum Con's coming real soon. It would be totally amazing if you came to Tantrum Con repping some Family Gamers merch. You can find t-shirts and hoodies and stuff like that at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like it and tell your friends about it. It helps so much if you can leave us a rating and a review at Apple Podcast or whatever your subscription source is. But let's be real. Apple Podcast probably helps the most. Yeah, that's true. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, all the streaming platforms yeah, you can find. Ask your smart stuff. device, mm -hmm. any of those things. Yep, absolutely. Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks again to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. And thanks to Chad for coming on, hanging yes, out with us, talking you, about Chad. some games, what you've been playing, some stuff that's coming out. Oh, thank y'all. Have fun. I hope this is uh, functionally equivalent to taking a break for you, Maybe? but I'm sure you're itching to get back at it. So I will always stop and talk to, about games. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I guess I guess that's going to be it for us this week. So until next week, everybody, play, play games, games with, with your kids. kids.